Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We have a special episode for you tonight. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy at Blake Murphy Seven on Twitter. Joined with my podcast co-host, as always, the venerable John Venerable at Johnny's Football on Twitter. We're here tonight to talk to you about the big news: the Arizona Cardinals have a new head coach and it's not the one that we were thinking or expecting but as soon as kind of there was connections made and we'll go through some of the process behind that we knew it was going to be cliff kingsbury question was would arizona be able to pull it off they did it seemed like it was a done deal and now the arizona cardinals have a intriguing and exciting new option to head coach and this is something i think that we're Obviously, like there's a lot of Cardinals fans. Most that I talk to, everyone seems to be pretty overall enthusiastic about the move. You've got a lot of fans who are like thankful they didn't go the Jim Caldwell, even the Adam Gase route. Um, there's a lot to talk about tonight. We're going to get all into that here on the podcast. But first, Johnny, how are you doing tonight? And how are you feeling about the Kingsbury news? I'm loving it, Blake. I'm doing great. Uh, welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We are super excited. This has been uh, kind of a touch and go period over the last probably seven to 10 days. Uh, we've been waiting to record until the dust settles. Uh, we, we were hoping we wouldn't have to do another speculation podcast, Blake, where yeah. we were going through kind of the options, but man, you think about it, it we're recording on the 10th of January, almost all the jobs have filled up. Uh, they might, they might be complete. Uh, I haven't checked Twitter in a little while, but for the most part, 99% of the, the coaching options have been filled and the Cardinals were, yeah, if I remember the first to essentially announce that they had found their new head coach, Matt LaFleur, a day before, uh, it was leaked out that he was going to be the Packers head coach. But, you know, going this whole process, Blake, you could sense that the Cardinals had a heightened sense of urgency, Michael Bidwell, Steve Keim, to find the guy quickly and to be aggressive. And for all their mistakes this past year, and there were a lot of mistakes, they're starting off 2019, in my opinion, on the right foot with a bang hiring what I think is one of the most innovative minds in all of football, somebody who we've talked about it off air, Blake, somebody who I think stock is rising, even though he was let go by his alma mater. This is a different NFL. Now this is not the NFL from 2005, 2006. This is the NFL where you got to score points to, to get to win a championship. Defenses do not win a championship. Situational defenses help, but offense is what drives the, the league now. Look at the teams in the postseason, Blake. The Rams, the Chiefs, the Bears had a better season because they were elevated offensively. The, the New Orleans Saints. I mean, some of these teams defensively are, are horrific, speaking of maybe the Rams and the Chiefs, but they're dropping 30-plus points a game, and that's what wins. And that's why Cliff Kingsbury, to me, is the right guy. He's going to come in, 39-year-old head coach, pair him with Josh Rosen, give him some talent offensively, and let's see what he can do. He was one of the most innovative offensive minds at the collegiate level at Texas Tech. We, we've heard it time and time again, the, the stuff that he did with Johnny Manziel in his one year at Texas A&M when Johnny Manziel went on to win the Heisman. Way back, I believe in Houston, he had Case Keenum. Case Keenum, who then became a competent NFL starter, who's a starter now. And then, of course, what he did with Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think this spells... Uh, lots of success for Josh Rose. And I think it's exactly what this, this staff, or excuse me, the front office needed to do. The Cardinals were last in every major statistical offensive category last year that led them to essentially go through this hiring process 
and only interview offensive candidates. We talked about it off air, Blake. Would they, would they bring in a Vic Fangio just for the hell of it? Would they talk to some of these other guys? They didn't, they didn't waste any time. The process, and I'll go through the process a little bit, Blake, and, and, and flip it back to you for your reaction, but it was, it was essentially Michael Bidwell had this conversation. They were going to keep it close to the vest, right? Which, I mean, it, that's really kind of impossible in today's NFL. Like, there are really no – I think the Packers were the, the most surprise hire with LaFour. You can kind of see where the dust settles with everybody else. We had Benjamin Albright on the podcast. Uh, check that out if you have it. He kind of gave us a breakdown of, of the candidates, did a phenomenal job. But I think early on – after Adam Gase was let go by Miami, in my opinion, he was the front runner for the job. He was exactly what they were looking for, has some of the same attributes as Cliff Kingsbury. Um, they brought him in for an interview. I, I, I'm told I've heard that the interview was just okay, right? They, he didn't blow him away. He was a viable option, and they kind of kept him in their back pocket if they didn't find another candidate, which they did. They brought in Jim Caldwell. I think that was kind of a last resort option. And, and Hey, he would have been fine for a couple of years, but he's 64 years old. I believe this month, you want somebody to pair. This is all about Josh Rosen folks. You want somebody to pair with Rosen for the next, hopefully decade plus. Right. Um, you know, the other candidates, I think they were just really doing their due diligence. And then I, I knew Blake, we talked about it. I had some sourcing that, that they were interested in Cliff Kingsbury and had conversations with Cliff Kingsbury dating back to December. Um, and so it had come out that not only the Cardinals, but the Jets were interested in Kingsbury and that USC was blocking him from, from doing the interviews, but there was a small buyout and one thing led to another. And pretty soon after that initial report came out, Cliff Kingsbury was going to interview with the Jets and the Cardinals he went to the Jets first. I was nervous. I thought that why would they let him leave the building if he was their guy? Here's what I know. They made a strong push. He opted to go take his official interview in Arizona, which I think was just preliminary to get him in the building. They had had conversations. You, you, don't, ever, you don't want to see him all of a sudden, like you come in and again in person and suddenly a giant bridge is burned. You want to make sure you That's know. That's right. Same thing that happened with Kime and with um, Bruce Arians. It was interesting that it was only one interview that it took. I know we had two interviews with Steve Wilkes before that was kind mm-hmm. of official. And then it reminds you of this the, time. <laughs> yeah. You remind you of the, you made the right decision type of a kind of talking at least to Bidwell and Kime was, it was just interesting with how excited I think a lot of people were about the hire as well as to see how yep. excited Michael and especially Steve were about the hire was mm-hmm. a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. So they, so it's touch and go on Monday. I, I thought the Jets stood a realistic chance. And I think it came down to money. Um, he's going to make good money in Arizona. There's no doubt about it. He's got a nice contract. Um, this is unprecedented for the Cardinals. They've never hired a coach who had just been fired. They've never hired a former college coach with zero NFL experience. But here's what I'll say. He's been a head coach. He knows offense. The league now almost mirrors a lot of what college does. He's had offers to be coordinators at every level uh sean mcveigh we're going to beat that horse till it's dead has so much respect for him offered him a gig on their staff to to roll through the playoffs with them he was going to be a coordinator next year at any level uh chose to to get the job at usc with the thought of hey i could be elevated to the head coach but he picked arizona and i think he picked arizona for a couple reasons he picked arizona because he's a west coast guy he just prefers the west coast he's from texas right he has a franchise quarterback in Josh Rosen. I know he has a lot of respect for Rosen. You put turn on the tape. Rosen can make every throw, and he he is 
you know, you hear the speculation about these other quarterbacks in the draft. Rosen to me is, is better than all of those individuals. It's, it's kind of ridiculous to get into that. And I think the number one reason, Blake, I, th- I think he has a respect for Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell. Be- and I think he's going to get time to get this right. I, this is not going to be a quick fix. You saw what happened with Steve Wilson, one and done. I think this is going to be kind of mirror what's going on with Kyle Shanahan. He's not going to have yeah. the authority that Shanahan does in, in, in San Francisco. Which might, he's be a good, have, might be a yes. good Yes, you don't want have, to have him have that. I thought it happened with Ken Wisenhunt where that went quick. The biggest thing that I thought of right away when people talked about, like, what would be the biggest negative overall? The easiest comparison is Chip Kelly. You see the first yep. year success the second year they gain personnel control ship out all of the talent and suddenly end up realizing that when they're running the same type of items without the same type of talent teams caught on and they just struggled and kind of lost control try to do the same thing over for a year in um, and you saw some improvement like you saw improvement loss interception from colin kaepernick as far as statistical but you just saw a lack of the ability to have that same type of push for your team. And that's what's going to be very interesting is that this whole Rams model that teams are pursuing, it really does kind of need to have a kind of a guiding voice while you've got the young guy who goes through just so you can be able to have that, uh, you know, and not necessarily a hand to hold because you're still the coach, you're making the decisions, but just being able to have some of that experience of, hey, I'm going to tell them this. It's like, well, don't do that because I learned from this in the past and as a head coach, what would you do instead? Having some of that, and that's the biggest thing that I think that made me a fan of this hire overall is not just looking at the overall smarts and the brilliance because usually when you have someone who's that smart and brilliant that usually will draw people to them that will draw a lot of players to them because they'll be able to recognize this is kind of an identity we can build around is having confidence that hey it's third and long we've got a play call for that boom we get that call we're caught up for that one that gives a lot more confidence the second thing that you need though is you can't just be smart and brilliant because what you need is you need to have self-awareness. You need to be able to know your strengths, your weaknesses, have an air of humility to kind of go along with some of that swagger. I think that's one of the biggest things that Kingsbury has that a guy like a Josh McDaniels we've seen, he clearly hasn't had enough of that after the Packers job where they went and hired a first-year offensive coordinator. <laughs> you know, they look at the staff that Josh McDaniels built in the cold. They kept their staff. They brought in Frank Reich. He's got it's a great staff coordinator and his defensive coordinator are getting head coaching interviews after one year. That's how good the staff Josh McDaniels put together. He could probably put together a similar staff with the Packers and they still said no and are taking the first year guy for, well, two reasons. One, and we can talk about some of this as we go around the league, I guess we can look at it with because the Packers was, I think the, most interesting of the hires because Matt LaFleur, we even talked about it for years. He's been kind of a quarterback guru started off under, you know, I, you know, I like him, Blake, you loved him. And that was the one area of started off at least with um, Sean McVay. you look and see just the performance that Kirk Cousins had his best year under him. Third overall offense. I believe that year moves on, ends up becoming the uh, quarterbacks coach now under uh, with Kyle Shanahan moves to Kyle Shanahan. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is fantastic. Like Kyle Sh- uh, Shanahan and Matt Ryan, set records, had an MVP award, got all the way to the Super Bowl, moves back underneath at least over to uh, Sean McVay for a year, has this incredible turnaround of Jared Goff's career in 2017. Every year he goes, quarterbacks just thrive. Then he goes and has a year as an offensive coordinator for the Titans. And you see two things. You see Marcus Mariota have one of his better seasons. You see a lot of the issues and problems get fixed, but you still see offensive struggles. You still see difficulties with the play calling in his first year. Eventually they kind of seem to turn it on late, running the football hard. But ultimately, it just wasn't really enough. And so there's a lot of questions that people had as far as he's going to be the main guy in the play caller. Is it the quarterback at the talent level that's been the issue? 
Or is it kind of more of the fact that he was never the play caller? He was always a guy who was able to help with the planning, the staging, getting that quarterback prep. So that's why this is a really curious hire because they really wanted to keep Mike Pettin as their defensive coordinator. And that was, I think, part of the reason why he was the guy put forward because you've got that veteran defensive guy who's been a head coach before you have to pair with this young offensive mind and the green bay packers also now they are still the guys in control josh mcdaniels is not going to have like you know the guy who's calling the draft setting at the boards making all of the calls for everything in the organization packers are very much tight close-knit group in that sense so that was the very curious interesting hire and it was interesting to me because it was a guy who you know, previous to this season, I would have liked him if he was the choice, but I don't think I would have been as thrilled with him as I would have been with a guy like Kingsbury as far as, you know, and it'll be his first year NFL play calling. We'll have to see, but I wasn't as thrilled with it if they had gotten the floor as I thought it might've been perhaps once that other option opened up. Yeah, absolutely. Blake. I mean, I, I thought Adam Gase would have been a good choice um, because I think that if you're able to have success in Miami, which I face it, let's face it. It's a, it's a toxic environment. Nobody wins there. And he went there his first year and won 10 games. Uh, I, he's been competitive with support quarterback play. Um, but what is his ceiling? Right. Um, I really felt like the, the loser of the Kingsbury sweepstakes, so to speak, was going to go with Adam Gase. And that's exactly what happened. The Jets wanted Cliff Kingsbury. Don't, don't let it fool you. They wanted to get him in house and work with Sam Darnold. Didn't get him. They get Adam Gase, who I think is uh, a quality NFL coach. Uh, he's got a little bit. We've talked about a Todd Haley in him. He's got attitude. He can get into it with the media. I'm sure the Cardinals didn't love that. When you talk about Kingsbury, all this stuff off the field with, you know, he's a good-looking guy, all that, all that garbage that, that people want to spin, that propaganda. He is respectful. He is poised. I thought he did a great job at his press conference. He's, I think he's easygoing. Players love him, clearly, at Texas Tech. He just couldn't feel the defense, and that's why he that's why he lost his job. We're going to get into that, but I, I just think that there were not a ton of quality options this offseason for head coaches. And if you're going to try, if you're Steve Kime, this is your last chance to get this higher right, or you're going to you're going to lose your job, right? Mm-hmm. So why not instead of playing it safe with a Caldwell or a Gase or even a little floor, let's go with a guy where you have a chance to hit a home run. You've got a guy who's 39 years old who can elevate this team to the next level, consistent playoff contender. He's got to do his job in the draft room. But I I do think Cliff is the kind of individual that players will respond positive to. I, I think at the end of the day, his message won't grow stale because they respect his innovation and they know what he's done. Right. And so I, I, I just think that you hear all this media buzz about how, you know, there's issues with his age, there's issues with his inexperience, there's issues with how he left USC. Number one, this is a business. Number two, he had a buyout. The Cardinals are paying his buyout. Uh, and number three, there's only 32 head coaching jobs in the NFL in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you have that opportunity to be the top at your profession, potentially, you're going to do that no matter who you are. So for the folks that are complaining about that, number one, it's going to go away if he wins. If this guy shows that he can be a good NFL coach, all that garbage is going to go away. And I think we're going to see more of, of what Cliff did in the future. Uh, but they'll take their sh- fair share of criticism if it doesn't work out. It, number one, it's fascinating. The Cardinals were a, a dumpster fire of a team last year that nobody paid attention to. They've been in the national news cycle for the last 24 hours. It is it, as as Seth Cox of Revenge of the Birds says, it, it is team chaos right now. And yes. <laughs> I think for Cardinal fans, that that's something interesting to hear. And I'll leave it at this, Blake, with, with the hiring process. At the end of the day, 
Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime knew they had to be aggressive. Aggressive wins in sports now. You can't be passive. You can't be last. The Cardinals were essentially last to fill their last three head coaching spots. They got out there. They recruited this guy. I'll give Steve Kime credit. He's been in his ear for the better part of about 45 days. And when they sealed this deal, yep. I, I honestly believe that it, it is a new era in Cardinal football that hopefully leads to the first championship in franchise history. I know that's asking a lot, but <laughs> I have that much faith in Rosen, and I'm hoping Kingsbury can unlock what, what I know he's capable of doing. Yeah, and the, the entire process of seeing how it played out as far as the story of the season, Michael Bidwell essentially admitted that the time that they started looking, they're like, when did you start? When did you know you were going to need to look for a new head coach? When did you start that process? He said it was probably sometime around week nine. And so I think looking back to that one, when you see that, we know what week nine was. Yeah, well, we know it was the it was the week where they beat the Niners with that one where they had that come from behind victory, but it really was honestly starting at week seven. And so the image that I just have of Michael Bidwell sitting in the box with the camera that they had this nationally televised game of them being blown out 45 to 10, you already knew you were firing the offensive coordinator if they're realizing, holy crap, like, and we even had that same conversation. I was saying, John, like, they may have to fire their head coach too. It, was, it wasn't just like a, Mike McCoy's gone, the problem's fixed. It's, this may be a fundamental issue where they have to just start over, at least from the coaching position and the image of Michael Bidwell sitting in that box with his AirPods in his ears. And that was, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. He's not even watching or paying attention to the game. There's someone that he's on the earphones he's talking to. And as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, Wilkes is in big trouble. Because if yep. he's talking to someone saying, we've got a problem, we've got to fix this. It's like he's talking to someone. Uh, for all we know, it might have been uh, Ernie Accorsi. It might have been that guy saying, hey, I might, I might be needing a head coach at the end of this year. Like this, this might not be, this might be bad. So I think mm -hmm. that may have been the part where it started conversations, started exploring, talking to different people. And as you said, it went over time. Just breaking down the time frame, I know it was about, uh, I would say about, I think it was four or five days ago. And we were kind of able to be in this experience of just having kind of that live, almost like a live tweeting experience of... It was great. I love it. You had to have a, the first kind of connection came from Texas Tech... Uh, no, Texas Tech, sorry. Um, some Texas Longhorn 24-7 college recruiting boards. Give them credit, Reddit. Credit for that one. And then Reddit was the other one. I think it was the Arizona Cardinals subreddit legend, Mr. Chip Kelly, who is... So like, good. Hey, you know, I'm an Eagles fan, but I know some guy, and he's telling me that, like, Cliff, to the Cardinals, it's done. It's like, it's going to be done. He's going to be, like, the head coach. They've had, like, an interview. It's been, like, all unofficial. And so that was what was interesting, was every time we pushed back, it was, oh, okay, he's saying that he interviewed. Is he interviewed already? I always said, no, no, there's been no interview. And then they kind of pushed back it's like but i heard from the night before i talked to two people all said yes they had an interview and it went well then the next day was no there was no interview we're like well, what does that mean and it was because he had that usc contract and because of those nfl rules he was like yes he had an interview quotation mark interview they called they talked they'd known about it but they had to do everything kind of under the table in that sense just because they couldn't officially talk to him because he was still under contract to usc so that was really what kind of set up the process of here's why this information got out and then you know the nfl pulls stuff out because the Cardinals, you know, USC was upset because they went through it outside of the process. They talked to them first. Uh, a lot of it was when you look at how low the buyout was for 150K, you know, Cliff or how much he was making, he could have just paid that if he wanted to out of his own pocket. Cardinals are going to cover that cost for him. But it really was, I think, a low buyout because it was almost a, hey, we're going to add you on if there's other opportunities that open up. And we even got to see the fact that there was a lot of interest in a lot of teams. I know it was his agent talked on a podcast today, uh, Eric Burkhart, and said that he turned down seven NFL coordinator jobs a lot of college jobs like with teams that were like you know college bound like he may have turned down a position on Dabo Sweeney's staff for all we know having to work with Trevor Lawrence for next year 
he said that the only opportunity that really would have basically taken over because USC, he may have been in line for that job, would have been a head coach. Absolutely. And that was one of those things, of course, you're going to jump at that job. And so what was interesting also when Cliff talked about was the relationship with Steve Kime, talking about like some of the past. And a lot of that maybe would have been different for other jobs. We all know he's got a connection with the New England Patriots. I uh, spent a year under Belichick, knew Tom Brady stuck up for uh, him after he was hired. And then looking also at the fact that he was previously had played for the Jets. His only NFL pass completion was for the Jets. That's where I think that you and I, you were a bit more worried than I was. I felt like the job was done because he went to New York first. If he'd gone to the Cardinals first, that would have been a worry. The fact that I said, oh, he's in New York. The Jets are trying not to get him to leave. My feeling was whatever the Jets are going to offer him, I think that he's already made up his mind with Arizona because one of the tidbits that I received when I was asking was the fact that the Cardinals were the first ones to come to Cliff and the fact that he's a really stand-up and loyal guy and that they basically were saying, hey, we're going to give you a lot of the team. We're going to help you with everything that we can. We understand what the expectations that for you are. And he understood kind of the Arizona and the West Coast. It was a good fit for him. So whatever the Jets were going to offer and everything with Darnold, he felt like there was still going to be some issues. The biggest issue overall, obviously, was um, you could see with the hiring of Adam Gase, the Jets and essentially are still being kind of run over by uh, with uh, McGagnon, uh, the guy who you know drafted Christian Hackenberg with a second <laughs> overall pick and uh, they hired, you know, they went and hired a guy that, you know, went five and one against them, but you got to see him in the division each year and got fired. So it was a bit like if the Cardinals had went and hired Chip Kelly after he had gotten let go by the Niners after someone gotten fired. So I think that overall it just turned into a really solid fit. And like you said, part of the thing that was interesting was this is a huge win because this is like the first time you can say in two big accomplishments for Josh Rosen. One, Cliff Kingsbury did pick Josh Rosen over Sam Darnold. Yes, that cannot be disputed. That's factual. That's a factual thing because if it had been, hey, I like Darnold better than Rosen, but, you know, I really, really didn't like the situation. No, you would pick the better quarterback because if you're a quarterback guru who's going to take over the offense, you can say, well, that's the guy I'm going to be more successful with. A lot of people might even argue with the athleticism. But he looked at Josh Rosen with the timing, the throwing of the football. We'll talk a bit about at least for how some of the scheme fit will work. The personality, I think, was another issue. Another thing, we do know that Rosen sat in on some of these interviews, probably got at least to talk to some of the coaches to gauge them. Um, And then the second thing we also know is this is the first time that since he's been in high school that Josh Rosen is going to have a stable offensive coordinator, offense and play caller that's been there. Unless things go completely to hell, which I don't think we're expecting that they will. This is kind of that stability that we were talking about. And a lot of this stuff is what the Arizona Cardinals honestly should have done in 2017, at least for the most part, with finding that young offensive mind, get your rookie quarterback, be able to develop. And so it seems like they kind of have learned their lesson in a lot of aspects And I think it's a good step forward because what the Cardinals essentially did was they came out and admitted, hey, we were wrong about Steve Wilkes. They came out, openly admitted that and said, here's how we're going to make it up. And that's going to be, we're going to try to make the smart moves that we're going to do to build around this quarterback. And that to me, I think is probably the biggest win overall is that you don't have to go into next year with as many questions about Josh Rosen, because you'll be able to know there's at least going to be progress and steps forward that are going to be made for your quarterback. And I think that's a huge positive and it's a huge win for a lot of Cardinals fans, John. Uh, he's going to make, I, I I will put my mortgage on this. He is going to make that next year jump of, of quarterbacks. We hear about year two, right? Where it clicks for some guys, whether, you know, Mitch Trubisky was having a, a very successful high, high volume year in terms of uh, passing touchdowns. I think he was on pace for like 30, 35 uh, before he missed a couple games, but Matt Nagy effect, right? Sean McVay and what he did with that Rams offense um, in year two for their quarterback and, and how much better they looked uh, under just 
a couple tweaks in the offseason and, and a competent NFL coach. I mean, that that really, to me, makes all the difference. And we talked about it last year, Blake, the fact that we both felt like, you know what, you should probably go with an offensive guy because at the end of the day, if you're going to hire a defensive coach and you bring in an offensive coordinator who elevates the team, right? He's going to go get a job. He's going to leave in a year. And then you're going to have to start that process all over again. How often it, it happens sometimes, but how often does the do defensive coordinators get head jobs? Especially now there has been of the, all the openings, Blake, there has been one defensive coach hired. That's Vic Fangio. Like the best defense of the year. basically. And in my opinion, the only reason that he was hired is because the Denver Broncos do not have a franchise quarterback in place. Case Keenum is a competent NFL quarterback, but clearly they're planning for the future. They're planning, okay, we got this tremendous pass rush. It's not about the offense for them. They're going to try to win the old school way. Good luck with that. Look what everybody else is doing. They might be taking the Arizona route is what a lot of people are saying because that's really unfortunate for them. There might be a couple of quarterbacks. This isn't maybe the best year. A lot of people have talked about Drew Locke just because if you look at and think of the typical Elway passer, it's not going to be like it would have probably been like close to a Justin Herbert, but it's probably not going to end up being Dwayne Haskins. It's probably not. It's not not going to be Kyler Murray whatsoever. It would probably be much more like that Drew Locke, a big arm, the guy who's going to be able to push the ball downfield. So you're just going to say, hey, we're going to do the same thing. Short passes, run the football a ton, and then take a bunch of deep shots. That seems to be uh, what their game plan will be. The other thing I think that's interesting is that they already were taking Gary Kubiak and moving him back into that offensive coordinator role. They just needed a defensive guy to kind of take over who's going to be a lot better which is strange to me. He's the, I mean, he's a former head coach. Can he not just become the head coach again? I, I think it's just that he doesn't have to worry as much about with, I don't know if it's the relationship with the front office or that's maybe just weird. Just letting some, I think it's also the fact that I think he just doesn't want to have to deal with whether it's the press conferences or being in front of the, the people, the media, just whatever kind of management. I think that he's fine to basically say, Hey, I'll take that kind of, you know, alongside the, the first time head coach, I'll just be kind of that type of mentoring role. And that way I can just focus on the offense. He doesn't have to worry about the defense. He doesn't have to worry about the hiring or firing. He's basically tied to the organization and Elway for the most part. He can always just up. Oh, we're having him step back down. If there's things that you don't like. So I think that's where just the structure of some organizations, it just runs and flows a little differently uh, real quick. At least let's, let's go over just the rest of the different jobs and how they're currently been looking. Cause we already yeah. talked in Packers. We talked about Adam Gase. We just went over the Broncos with Vic Fangio here. A little bit of a surprise. Some people looked at Mike Munchak. The other one that seems to be kind of most curious is the other young kind of up-and-coming coordinator type of role. There's two of them that are made head coach this year. One of them would be former Cardinals coach Freddie Kitchens with the Cleveland Browns. The Crazy. I think it's a bit crazy because it's almost a bit premature after when you see like I, I, I understand it. It just it does remind me a lot of Dirk Cutter with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where they fired their defensive head coach at the end of the year, Lovey Smith, to keep that offensive coordinator from moving on to a different job. And yeah. fine for a little while for the most part. I think it's really gonna depend on who their DC ends up being. Like if they end up with, you know, Vance Joseph seems like it's be a, a solid fit. Pagano is another option that they've been looking at. There's a lot of competition for these hot DC names. Yeah. It works out really really well because of his experience the fit with baker the play calling it might be that it ends up being a, a really great fit it also might be a spot where you know you hire a guy who's there and mike mccarthy was a guy who would have wanted the job and they're saying hey we want you to keep your dc we want you to keep 
the offensive coordinator because they like those guys. And Mike McCarthy is like, I, I want to bring in my own staff. I'm sorry, I, I can't do that. And so that's what's fascinating to me is it's almost kind of like you're you're scared of losing kind of that thing that's tying you. And so they tied themselves to Freddie Kitty. Now, on one hand, it might be a brilliant decision because you're keeping that guy who showed you off with the best bet with your quarterback and develop over the long haul. But expectations are going to be very, very different next year for Freddie Kitchens. They're going to be basically like talked about as a playoff team. Are they going to contend for the division? It's going to be very, very interesting. In Arizona, I know a lot of people had mixed reviews. And I think a lot of that really shows in the fact that they didn't choose to keep Kitchens. They chose to keep Byron Leftwich. Was that a mistake in Arizona's part? Up front, looks like it was, honestly, for right now, because they were able to have a solid, consistent guy. Maybe Freddie Kitchens in another world would be the Cardinals head coach. But it's also walk to the other place was you know an assistant head coach running backs coach was kind of passed over for years and a lot of people said hey freddie was the guy who was you know the key to unlocking baker i just don't wonder if baker mayfield was kind of the key more to unlocking freddie and that might be the same case of having that talent and that quarterback just needing to have a flexible and or a good offensive mind that can put them into a good place is what that what the browns really needed and that's what makes me think of maybe it's not cliff kingsbury's the guy who's going to fix or unlock josh rosen so much as Rosen's got the talent. He just needs to have the right person to unlock that. That's what I think the big difference here is, John. Yeah, and can I just say something about the Browns and the perception within the media that the Browns' job was the best job? The Browns have had 10 head coaches since 2001. Let that sink in. Do you really want to tie your – I mean, some of these guys are only going to get one of these chances, right? You you may only get one shot to become an NFL coach. And so the perception was the Browns have this great quarterback, which Baker Mayfield was great last year. There's no way around it. They've got a very nice up and coming roster, but you know, we know how the NFL turns and how things can go from zero to 60 and how you can turn over your roster and suddenly things don't look so good. The Cardinals were in the NFC championship game, you know, three years ago, at the end of the day, you're going to have to report to Jimmy Haslam and John Dorsey, John Dorsey, who could not get along with Andy Reid, who gets along with everybody who had a perfect setup in Kansas City. Yeah, he yeah. drafts great, but he got fired in Kansas City. He picked that all those players and got McCarthy had worked with all of these guys before, too. That's why I thought McCarthy to the Browns was going to be kind of that sure thing. What, is and that, then, what does that tell you then? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it was that the the Browns had their way of doing it. There's it's not that there's underlying issues because Dorsey came in, I think, and fixed a lot of stuff. Great talent evaluator. I think it's more of just the fact that the Browns. They're, they're, it's kind of that idea of that you've arrived. This is it. We're going here. Whereas I think what the smart move would have been if if the Browns had gone to Mike McCarthy and kind of figured out a little bit. Maybe they could have said, "Hey, here's what we're going to do. We want to keep Freddie Kitchens for one more year. Can you give us just one more year with Freddie Kitchens as your OC? You can go out and pick your DC. We're moving on from Greg Williams, no matter yeah. what." Bring in yeah. your future OC who's going to be on the staff with you. But let's stick this out for one more year because we want you to build around. So if they weren't even able to do that for whatever reason, it, it just, that's one thing that's kind of curious. At least. Now, the good news is Dorsey seems to be the guy who Freddie's directly reporting to. Seems like they're kind of trying to stabilize. But now it's built around John Dorsey. And so it's going to be very curious to see what will happen as far as with the, with the Browns for next year. And especially with, you know, the Cardinals are playing the Browns next year. Like, is this going to be kind of where Baker becomes the new Cam Newton where you're still looking at really talented quarterback in an organization and having to kind of get up over the top or is it going to be you know a a different we're talking about you know uh, one of the elite quarterbacks I I honestly don't know but I I would trend toward the latter but I I don't know what are your your thoughts on that John well I know you're a big Baker Mayfield fan and he backed it up this year but the Cleveland Browns you're going to have to overcome the dysfunction that is the Cleveland Browns and until we see him do that consistently and we see an organizational shift from what they've become which was the embarrassment of the, the sports world um, I, I have I have doubts. I mean, the Cardinals 
are historically dysfunctional, but the Cardinals, since Michael Bidwell took over in 2006, uh, I believe are above 500, are, are, are one of the more successful teams over the past, not including this year, over the past five years. Um, the Browns have not made the playoffs, I think, since what, like 2001, maybe the year Arians was there? I can't remember. With, yeah, but Bruce Arians is the last one to lead them into the playoffs. It's probably yeah. why, you know, I mean, think about game. that. Um, <laughs> and, and now you've got, like you mentioned, Blake, you've got those expectations. The, the roster is, I think, one of the top tier rosters in the NFL. And they're going to have a nice draft class. They're going to have in a, in a position to add talent and free agency because their quarterback's on a rookie contract. But at the end of the day, you got to work with Jimmy Haslam and John Dorsey. Do you want to do that? I think these candidates that come in, all these coaches have egos. It's just dependent on you know which ego can can mesh with with you know which owner, which GM. Mark McCarthy probably looked at the Browns and like I don't want any part of that. You know, everybody gets fired. Sashi Brown, Hugh Jackson. I mean, it just it's it's kind of. The Cardinals have to be careful in that sense, and I think they will be, that they're going to give Cliff Kingsbury, rightfully so, a lot of time to get this right. And that's why I had no problem with them firing Steve Wilkes after one year, Blake, because they had been so successful before him. Ken Wisnett and Bruce Arians back-to-back give Michael Bidwell credit were the two most successful coaches in franchise history. Then you hit a bump in the road with Wilkes. You said, okay, I'm going to correct this now. I'm not going to complicate things and make things worse. I'm not going to waste another year of Josh Rosen's you know, rookie contract eligibility. We're going to get this right now. And that's that's what I love. Don't compound one one mistake with another and passing over some of these these coaching candidates. So that's why you know this whole process, it was stressful because you wanted the right guy. But at the end of the day, if you watch Cardinal football last year, you knew if they got a competent head coach like a Caldwell, you know, who wouldn't have been super exciting, like a Gase, like a Kingsbury, it's, it would turn around. I think, I think Rosen is the biggest benefactor of this. Can they get a defense? Who knows? I'm not overly concerned about that at the moment. To me, it's right. can they elevate Josh Rosen? I believe that they can. And I think that that was part of the reason Kingsbury took this job. And I think it's an indictment of Cleveland that no big time head coach wanted to go work there. I, I, I just, I think when you, when you promote from within, when you promote from within that just, that's a sense of, okay, we didn't really have any other options. We're just going to see if this can keep going. And I hope it works out for Freddie, but I, I mean, you generally historically promoting from within does not work out. Yeah. You, a lot of times the time that it does, and this is, I, I wrote an article about this was the time that promoting from within works is when you get an example, like a Mike Tomlin who went through the organization, understood who they were, their identity. And a winning organization. Oh yeah. Winning organization. That's the thing. You have to be a winning organization because you know what your identity is. And that was what happened was when Mike Tomlin took over, it was okay. We know what our identity is. Our identity is and our defense and being able to have that 3-4, being able to have the type of pass rushers, the coverage, and then being able to just throw the ball down the field with Big Ben. And so all we need to then just do is, it doesn't matter really who our offensive coordinator is. It'll be different types, different schemes if you need to make little tweaks here or there. But ultimately, it's been the same thing over and over. It's been, you know, we're going to run the ball with having a great offensive line. And if Ben gets into trouble, he's going to run and scramble and be able to throw the ball deep. At least we're going to draft fast, speedy wide receivers. Tomlin understood that that's the identity that the Steelers have. And they continue it. The Cardinals in this year, year went away from their identity they basically went and said hey here's everything that bruce arians has established of we're basically the the whole thing is kind of even started i guess you could say with don coriel we're going to be this air raid passing offense because of our climate our indoor stadium that we'll have with everything in the weather we're going to be a blitz heavy defense because of being able to play on a fast field that's who our identity is going to be as this more type of uh, air raid, this more type of offensive, explosive, fun, uh, West Coast type of a team. 
this year they went and they did the opposite of their identity where originally they thought we've established the culture and the identity. Steve Wilkes is coming in to enforce it. Instead, they brought in Wilkes and he went and made changes where it's, hey, we're going to be a team that runs the football. Okay, like Panthers. We're going to be a team that's going to have a, not, not a 3-4, but a 4-3. Okay, like the same defense you ran with the Panthers. And we're going to be a team that's going to focus on, you know, first and foremost, we stopped the run. Okay, yeah, we, we, we were a team that stopped the run on defense, but really they were a team that did a lot of blitzing and man coverage. None of that worked because Steve Wilkes saw what happened. You saw it through the first two weeks where they were blown out. Nothing worked with how it was supposed to. They went against what their identity was, did not try to adapt to the personnel whatsoever. The Cardinals have kind of realized this. They've turned it around on their head. They're saying, okay, we really need to get back to where we need to be. And it's also, fortunately, the same direction that the league is going with all of these offensive guys. Uh, let's talk about the real quickly as it ties in. The last uh, couple of coaches that were there, we talked at least about Adam Gates. It's interesting because the these – Coaches that are coming in, Matt Rule, I believe, was the guy who – he was basically the Jets guy. Jets wanted to dictate who his staff was. And he said no, went back to coaching Baylor. They went and get Adam Gase, a guy who's going to – you know, he, he's saying, hey, well, yeah, well, I'll, I'll share with you. I'll have input on my guys, but I'll be willing to listen to some of you guys who are there too, and he gets one of the 32 head coaching jobs. What I think some agents and other people have said is this is going to start to be a trend of – teams are learning from guys like Josh McDaniels and Adam Gates coming in, hiring all their buddies for the job and the position, not learning from it and then flaming out because they don't have guys who are qualified to work fast. The GMs are wanting to have more control on who some of the guys who are being hired. Cliff Kingsbury's example, he's got connections. He's got people that he knows, but he's also going to have to have Steve Kimes help to be able to bring in a veteran defensive coordinator and some of the other staff because, you know, he was, USC, you know, going on the recruiting trail. Now he's got to know the NFL names, the offenses, the coaches who he's never coached against, obviously, because he doesn't have NFL experience. He's going to need to rely on a lot of guys around him. And in that sense that he's got a lot of that self-awareness is at least good. But it's also going to be interesting to see how some of those teams, when they do take those on, the GMs are kind of creating, you're ultimately kind of having to say that now a lot of this team, like even more of the, uh, the power kind of is consolidated in Steve Kime. And, you know, if there's, let's say that they bring in, you know, a really, really awful defensive coordinator, that's going to be maybe even more on Kime than it would be on uh, Cliff Kingsbury. So that's going to be interesting. So I find it interesting that the Jets are kind of taking that, you know, that approach of where there's question marks that you have as far as that. But in some cases, like maybe it's going to be a positive that you won't get to hire your buddies. On the other hand, GM is now going to be very responsible for having to have those teams. The other two guys who were there, and this is the kind of surprise hire, the Bengals are looking at hiring 35-year-old Zach Taylor, the offensive coordinator. But previously, he's really not called the plays or designed the offense mostly just a quarterbacks guy at least we even talked about it on the podcast of he wasn't even going to be like the coach he was probably going to be the the o, uh, the oc at least for the most part for dan campbell was kind of how many had been picturing it he ended up being incredibly impressive with his interviews uh, even on the whiteboard with his ideas and identity um from what i can at least understand it was different from cliff kingsbury they actually even got out the grease board had him diagram plans for some of the cardinals actual players is what adrian wilson i believe had said on their big red rage show but you got a 35 year old and this is kind of where all the jokes have come up from is hey you, I, uh, I ordered sean mcveigh you know a coffee once he said you know greeted me said my name when i all of a sudden i've got a scouting gig with the NFL team and just the <laughs> type of model that they have has been fascinating that all of these guys who are these young up-and-coming coaches these college types it's like they're embracing the new NFL but they're also kind of really approaching the Sean McVay model and I thought that was interesting because the Cardinals some could argue are approaching the Sean McVay model but this isn't like a guy who's coached under McVay this isn't like that Matt LaFleur this isn't a guy this is a guy who's existed completely separate has built up his own scheme his own reputation his own areas of play caller 
completely separate from McVeigh. They've just been really good friends because they've gotten along. They see each other as peers. That to me is really interesting because it you know, points out for two things. One was Kingsbury was probably the only coach that any other team really had a competition for. Cardinals and Jets are competing for him. And it also shows that he kind of is one of the maybe the most qualified candidates. He's even more qualified, I think one could argue, at least as a head coach, than Steve Wilkes was. So I think it's oh, no doubt. I don't know. I know, like we talked about the trends. This is the way to go. I just think it stands out for the fact that if this is the group and the crop that we're looking with, and we can talk about Jim Caldwell was the backup option for the Cardinals. I think it was uh, Seth Cox. He was the one who actually, I think, had the tweet that summed it up. He said, look, the options that the Cardinals had <laughs> when you're looking at how, why is it that they went with Cliff Kingsbury? Some people are just not understanding it. The Arizona Cardinals basically had, uh, let me see, I got the... Mike McCarthy said no, by the way. Yeah, McCarthy said no. Eric Bieniemy said no. So you basically your options were going to be Dan Campbell, Zach Taylor, a guy who wasn't nearly as qualified, at least. Man um, Campbell. Yeah, Man Campbell. That's right. Man Campbell was a, a guy who, you know, he, he had an interview here. And Jim Caldwell. And Jim Caldwell, like everything that they talked about was that he was going to be probably either tied to Brian Flores with the Patriots as a defensive guy, or he was going to just put together his whole staff again with Jim Bob Cooter, Terrell Austin, and maybe settle for a different offensive coordinator who'd been under him before. It would have not been a hire that would have been for the long term. It would have been a hire that you probably would have righted the ship a bit, but it doesn't feel like you'd have had the same, like there was a limit and a ceiling that we had. So out of these candidates that were there, there's no, there's no question, at least that the Arizona Cardinals were happy. And that's, I think, what Seth talked about is why are they making this choice and decision? Well, it's because the categories the Cardinals are ranked last in the league with, they were 32nd, Oh my gosh, like they were 32nd in points, in first downs, passing yards, rushing yards, scoring percentage, and time of possession. They were ranked 28th in rushing touchdowns, like number of rushing touchdowns. That's literally because they eventually would get far enough into the red zone that they would just give the ball to David Johnson and he would score if they got that far. That's it. That's why the Cardinals decided to make this choice to say, we can't say no to Jim Caldwell, Zach Taylor, and Adam Gates. This is the guy that we're going off of because we have to fix this problem. And it's probably one of the more exciting things to see that this isn't something where the Cardinals, like, and I saw it all across Twitter. Some people, Stephen A. Smith particularly, went on a huge rant at least, but a lot of people said, look, you know what? The Cardinals... <sighs> doesn't work out they did something fresh they did something different they didn't just say no to the status quo they made an out-of-the-box hire by bringing in a college guy maybe even like you said a year before other teams would have competed for him and now they've got that guy who's locked up with josh rose for long term and i think that i want to commend them for that especially absolutely yeah absolutely blake and the folks that are complaining about it did not watch how many people nationally watched this team last year i'm gonna go with zero you think Stephen a smith is the broncos game they were like oh yeah yeah, things do you think they were watching the arizona cardinals last year unfortunately we were the only ones who had to take that in and it was painful i mean they were painfully bad to the point where they were lucky to win a game much less three games and they you look at the statistics, Blake, they, they could have gone 0 16. I mean, you think about it, Jimmy Garoppolo had been healthy and they were all for going in that Packer game. I mean, that might've been it for them. And so you think about everything that went on last year and the transition to what cliff brings to the table. I think the expectations, like we mentioned in, I think New York, I know there's rumors that Gase could be one and done with their GM. If, if they don't make the playoffs next year, clearly Cleveland has expectations. I mean, like, the Cardinals do not have expectations because they were so bad last year. And that's a good thing. That's Absolutely. A thing. That's a great selling point. We've got the number one pick in the draft. We've got 70 plus million dollars in cap space. We've got a, a GM and an owner now that are going to be super patient. We're going to be aggressive and we're going to let you do your thing because the GM, Steve Kime, made it clear 
I'm helping him get his three, four defensive coordinator and we'll take care of that side of the ball. They want to mirror what, what the bears did with Matt Nagy and Vic Fangio. They want to mirror what Sean McVay has going on with Wade Phillips. That is the new trend where you get this young, hot offensive mind. That's going to turn around your offense from a dumb, the bears and the Rams offenses were, weren't as bad as the Cardinals, but they were close. Those Jeff Fisher offenses, um, they're, they're going to try to mirror that. And so Jeff hopefully offense, oh my gosh, Jeff Fisher, like that was the whole thing with Jared Goff and like Jared Goff and Josh Rosen. So much in common right now. You're oh, looking absolutely. At Trubisky last year, I think threw nine touchdowns in like 12 games. Didn't have a game where he threw multiple touchdowns, which yet, or uh, who was the bears head coach before Nagy? It was a oh, John, John Fox. Fox. These dinosaur coaches get them out. We got these new young, hot offensive minded coaches, but we're going to get these, old savvy defensive coaches to pair with them. It is the way the league is trending. The Cardinals are getting the jump on it because I believe they, they bought stock at the right time on cliff Kingsbury. They got to make the right defensive coordinator higher, but you know what, even if they, let's just say hypothetically, even if they don't get the right guy this year and they make big time strides offensively, which I think they will, they can go and find a new defensive coordinator next year. I know that's not the way you want to think, but if they're scoring points and you got your franchise quarterback coming in today's NFL, you can be competitive. That's all that matters. So uh, it just it's it's a day to celebrate. The, the Cardinals haven't had many days to celebrate in the last calendar year. The Rosen drafting, and that was about it. But the minute they hire Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, I would say ninety percent of the fan base, Blake, was was, was happy about it. You talk about the call, yeah. the backlash of Caldwell. Oh, yeah. You know, people were uncertain about. A lot of people didn't like Adam Gase. Uh, they would not have been happy with him with a man Campbell or the Zach Taylor. The consensus was get us Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kimes credit. He got it done. And I'm excited about the, the months ahead where, where the Cardinals can really dictate this entire off season. When was the last time that the Arizona Cardinals could do that? And now they're doing it, Blake. Yeah. And what's interesting also, like you even hit on a point was, and I've even talked about this, like there's detraction, the detractions that you'll be able to look at for Cliff overall is for one thing, a lot of people are looking at us, no matter what you feel like it's at least going to be some sort of improvement because it was going to be hard to get much worse. With it's, that impo- it's impossible. Almost impossible. Almost. Uh, and that's the good thing is like, you, don't, you never roll anything out, but the fact that it was the relationship that he had with him and Kaim, I think was the most interesting because a lot of people have been wondering if, you know, if Kaim like had to get it right to be able to basically keep his job going into 2020. And uh, we'll have to see how it all turns out, at least as far as what the draft, the rest of the off season. But for the most part, the fact that there was that strong relationship that was there kind of seemed like it was a working functional relationship. I felt like if there was more that was kind of coming back into where there was less tension, you know, it'll, it'll all change if things go uh, you know not according to plan at least obviously like that's the whole thing the biggest negatives at least that people are pointing out i don't think it as big of negatives and i think a lot of that centers on the fact that there's still a plethora of experienced defensive coordinators out there we'll go over some of the names i think at least when we're kind of getting near toward the the end of the show tonight but the only other big negative that you'd have to look at is this this cardinals team is essentially now back in steve kimes hands and that could be both considered a huge positive or a negative the positive is Kime wants to basically get this right and fix it. And he feels like that the team that he'd been working on shaking was kind of swept out from under his feet. Like I, I'd have to take a look at the time frame, but with the Cardinals changing to the four three, Michael Bidwell even said on the radio, like hey, he was sabotaged by Steve Wilk. 
Yeah, and it was kind of like you can say that that they were kind of like that. It was like we did not expect the change to a four three. They didn't talk as much about X's and O's. It seemed going in, they were looking for a leader of men. You've heard nothing about the idea that he's a leader of men for the most part with Cliff, and that's been interesting because some people are kind of questioning that. They're questioning the qualifications, the experience from a lot of areas, and there's stuff to be said because he doesn't have NFL experience in that case. Now, what you're not looking for obviously is the coach to kind of come in. You're looking for a guy who's going to develop your quarterback, lead the team, relate to the players. And then you're saying, hey, we're going to let the, de- the coordinator who was, you know, hopefully a previous head coach take care of a lot of the details, work together on the different areas. Just like that same model we've seen with Fangio and with the others. That's the type of model they're pursuing. The biggest thing I think as far as a negative is you still are seeing Steve Kime kind of be in this role of where he's really helping pick out a lot of whether it's the coordinators, the interviews, or his guys. He's got a lot of kind of power in this team. And I know you even talked about how Michael trusts him with the team, with the organization. So for better or for worse, if you had issues with Steve Kime's drafting in the last few years, well, guess what? He's got $70 million in cap space and a draft pick now. And so that's kind of the balance that we have to look at of, of if you're going to be looking at the positives of everything we've talked about, we've lambasted Kime a lot. He's going to have to find a wide receivers, cornerbacks. He's going to have to basically, you know, find linebackers, a lot of the areas that they've struggled to identify and find. So that's going to be kind of the biggest question as far as turning around in my mind is going to be how well he and Cliff will work together, how well this new defensive coordinator will be able to kind of put this team back together and adapt to the pieces. And that's going to be, I think, the biggest question that people are going to have moving forward is, you know, is it going to be a positive that you're looking at with Steve Kahn or is it going to be a spot of, you know, hey, man, this is like we're here another year later for that one. You know, you're still having issues and some of the same problems in 2018, even though you switched stuff out. That's something I'm not sure. My assumption, at least, is that the hope is that you would learn from it and get humble and get better because that's what Kime and Bidwell talked about with Steve Wilkes. They essentially, and I even, I think I sent out a tweet on this, they essentially talked to Steve Wilkes and they said, hey, what's your plan for 2019? They kind of knew they were going to move on and they said they weren't impressed with his plan. Nope. And the only thing that I could tell me about that was Steve Wilk came out and said, well, you need to give me this talent for the 4-3. You need to give me this over here, get a better coach. I've got Jim Caldwell who's an offensive coordinator we can bring in for that one. And they weren't impressed by it because ultimately I think what happened with Steve Wilkes was he wasn't willing to say that he messed up or he was wrong until it was like two or three games left in the season that he said he needed to get better. I think that he really truly believed in his identity and his philosophy. In fact, that he didn't question that is why he didn't ever had a coaching job. That's why Ron Rivera, a guy who went through the exact same thing Steve Wilkes did, but changed his philosophy on it's why he still did. And so the hope that you would have is that Curry, he's got that flexible mind and flexible ability to come back in. Now there's one, one more head coaching hiring that we've not talked about yet, John, and it's a really big one. Bruce Arians is back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's reuniting the whole band back together. Todd Bowles is back. Um, Keith Armstrong, a guy who played for him, is now in the special teams role. Amos Jones at least isn't going to be the main special teams coach. He may have a spot on the staff. You got Byron Leftwich is over there on the staff. You've got uh, even the Kevin Garver, the wide receivers coach for the Cardinals, is going to be back over there. You've got just all of the BA guys are all back coming in for Jameis Winston, you know, in the fifth year of his rookie deal. Uh, team that's got a lot of offensive talent kind of needs to be tightened up. This is just one of those crazy moves because it's like looking and seeing Bruce Arians quotes on the timeline. It's just like, it's different because, you know, normally you'd think of all these Cardinals fans. If this had been like, let's say the Cardinals announced Jim Caldwell as their head coach, all Cardinals fans you could hear about for the next couple of months would just be everyone staring at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wondering, oh gosh, why did we do to screw this up? And instead I've heard very little outside of, okay, thanks BA. We appreciate what you did. 
Yeah, but it was time for us to move on and time for you to move on for that too. Hopefully you'll do well for that one. There's questions people are going to have about the health, the longevity. Maybe Byron takes over in that spot eventually. But John, what, what are some of your thoughts? Because we talked about this. We heard it was going to happen. There were plenty of rumblings and that it was going to happen. He didn't take the Browns job that he openly lobbied for, but he's with his buddy Jason Light and he's now a new head coach. And you're going to have the Cardinals play the Buccaneers again this year. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, I don't want to call it a desperation move, but it's a, it's a, it's a win now move. It's a move that they are going to try to sell to their fan base to say, we have not been to the postseason since 2007 with John Gruden, which was one and done. We haven't won a Super Bowl since 2002. We really haven't been relevant in the NFL. I think they finished fourth in the division uh, every year, but one that was 2016 since yeah. 2011. I mean, they have been consistently one of the worst teams in the NFL. Coaching plays a big part of that. They haven't drafted particularly well. They've kind of been this forgotten franchise. You're after the kicker in the second round. So they just, Jason Light, who had success with Steve Kime as his right-hand man in Arizona, uh, has been their GM. He hired Lovey Smith. That didn't work out. uh, Promoted the offensive coordinator. That didn't work out. And so when he found out Bruce Arians was available, we heard from Benjamin Albright that, that he was trying to get him hired quickly and the ownership wanted yeah. to go through their due diligence and rightfully so they put him through a physical, they made sure he was healthy. I mean, Arians is in his mid sixties. Now you're going to get Arians. This is the difference. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers need a postseason birth, right? I don't know if this is a, this isn't a long-term play. This isn't a, a Super Bowl move. I could be wrong. This is let's see if Bruce Arians can elevate this team to, to the postseason and we can get some juice going and maybe even Blake save Jameis Winston's career to the point where he gets him going and then he retires again and then somebody can carry the torch. But I look at this team, Blake, offensively. Jameis to me has all the tools you heard Bruce Arians say in his presser today he's just got to be a little bit smarter so we'll see how that goes I think turnover per game I think and he had one turnover per game in college too someone pointed that out on Twitter today someone he's like one interception per game basically yeah that's right and so I think that he'll throw a lot of picks just like Carson Palmer did in his first year but I I do think that they're going to be explosive He's got a number one receiver in Mike Evans. I think he's got a nice stable of running backs defensively with Todd Bowles. You know he's going to elevate that unit too. I, I, I think they're going to go defensive heavy in the draft, and I think Todd Bowles is going to make that unit a top 10 defense right away because I just I think that highly of Todd Bowles. And they've got some legitimate players like Levante David and Gerald McCoy and some other guys on that. Vita Vey is on that defense. So I, I think Noah Spence is somebody who I really like who's on that defense. So We'll see how that transition goes. I, I think they're going to be in the mix for the playoffs next year. I think it's I think it's exciting for me to watch because Arians, to me, and I know some will disagree with Kenny Wilson, I think he's the greatest coach in the history of the franchise. He's had the most success. He's the winning coach for that he's one. The, he changed the yeah, culture. Absolutely. Ken was in a head Kurt Warner, and the minute Kurt Warner left, the Cardinals were a dumpster fire again. Bruce Arians kept the Cardinals competitive through a lot of adversity. He's the greatest coach, in my opinion, that's ever been. In Arizona, I'm, I'm happy to see him back because he's, I think he's great for the league. Um, and, you know, the, it's not like he's going to coach Seattle or some, you're one of your rivals, yeah. right? It's Tampa Bay. Um, and the Cardinals don't expect to be. He was coaching Baker Mayfield and the Browns. People would be rooting for him at least. Yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like the Cardinals. I mean, some may disagree. The Cardinals have a long way to go. And it's not like, you know, Aaron's is blocking them from success. By the time the Cardinals, hopefully your competitive Aaron's might not be in the league again. So at the end of the day, I think it's a, it's a cool story because I just, I love everything Bruce Aaron's brings to the table. He's, he's everything I wanted in a head coach. He's brass. He's hilarious. He takes chances. He'll give you the skinny. I mean, he's not going to yeah, BS yeah. you. Uh, and I think he worked well with Steve Kime. 
but it was time I, even when he retired um and and is coming out of retirement and fans are saying why isn't he coming back to arizona like he he's been there done that like bill parcells the great bill parcells went from one team to another these guys want new challenges new opportunities guys have egos we heard uh, benjamin albright in our podcast say that there was some disagreement on on certain players to be drafted who knows if if arians wanted you know, Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, like we can go or, through that. Or, or, you know, the like that was the one thing he may have just said, Hey, I'm just my last year. I want to win now. Cause my health has been, been, been a really rough spot. He wanted to get no other linebacker to someone else. Yeah. I, I just, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, the bucks are better for it. Um, and, and so when you look at their roster, I think it, it's a, it's a roster, in the NFC that can get to eight and eight, nine and seven next year, they have a good off season. The biggest thing is Kime and Arians worked so well in those first couple of years together and played well off of each other, not only in the draft, but in free agency. Can Jason light do that and mix that with Bruce Arians? I think Bruce Arians is going to have not a say in personnel, but I, I really think that Jason lights on his last gasps there and he knows it. And so it's like, I'm going to pick Todd's brain and Bruce's brain. It's a home run hire for the bucks and their fan base. Uh, so congratulations to you. You're going to get, I think a lot of, a lot of points, maybe a lot of F bombs, but hopefully some success. Um, and so, you know, making that transition from him, from, from being a broadcaster this year, I think it's going to go smoothly. And so I, I wish him the best of health. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of the Polygon show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.